Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic. I mean, have you heard this show before? And we have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about paying for the Linux distro you're currently using. Let's get into episode 17. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today are those two wild and crazy guys, Matt and Nate. How are you? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Matt, you actually got some time to do stuff this week or not so much? So, yeah, no, uh, did not get to the things I wanted to do, unfortunately, you know, typical life and other things getting in the way. So uh, I generically run Garuda. Um, I had a wireless NIC card for my desktop. Unfortunately, that ran on a Realtek chipset. So I had to run an out of kernel module. You can probably see where this is going. Updated Garuda, uh, well, that Nick is no longer working at all. It doesn't matter if you blacklist it. It doesn't, matter if you, it doesn't matter what you do. Well, that's fantastic. I've uninstalled the drivers. I've I've reinstalled the drivers. For those that want to know, it's an, uh, I believe it's an RT. See if I remember the actual acronym for it. It's RTL88XUBC or UB or I can't remember the full thing for it um but it's an out kernel module that required that's required for the thing to work well it doesn't matter if you blacklist it doesn't matter what you do you plug it you know you, you tell it to use the wireless and it network manager k network manager whatever they're using in grid it just sits there and hangs and hangs and hangs doesn't detect a thing so i ended up having to buy a new wireless nick card which as of this recording i'm currently sitting here waiting for it to show up Oh, nice. This time, I, I made sure it was an Intel chipset for the desktop, so I don't have to run out-of-kernel modules. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's an Intel-based AX210 chip, so I was like, I know it's in the kernel. I don't have to worry about it. I've checked support. I have checked the kernel logs. I'm like, I've checked every bit of information to make sure this just works out of the box. <laughs> I thought... Wireless cards that didn't work with Linux is kind of a thing of the past. So, was this like a like an old Broadcom? I, I didn't I didn't hear, remember what what is it you said what brand of chipset was it? It was a Realtek chipset. A it's Realtek. Kind of, it's uh, the same. It's the same type of uh, chipset that like t companies like TP Link and a lot of those like wireless USB adapters would use. Okay, but it's just it's just Realtek's the one more common one, I guess, unless you intentionally seek out intel which i did this time but it was one that i had forever so the fact that it doesn't it, it kind of crapped out doesn't really surprise me it was just mad annoying because it's like I went to do some stuff online it was like oh can't oh great my production one of my production like my core production machine that i just flipped everything on uh this is gonna be fun <laughs> so it's like linux circa 2006 that's great I'm not sure if I'm no. I can't even really blame it on like no. I can't blame it on Linux specifically. Like it, it's a user. Like this particular instance, it's a user. Like I'm not blaming you. Like I know, I know Nate. You're gonna like oh, that's what you get when you run Arch. Well, I was gonna refrain from that. <laughs> this is actually a this is a user knowingly running an out of tree module to get this to work. And then the, there was a kernel update for Garuda along with a bunch of other stuff. So the fact that it didn't work, it's on me. And for those that are going to ask, well, did you make sure the header, the Linux headers and stuff? Were, yes, I made sure I checked all for the Linux headers and everything else for the kernel. So before I get that question, because that's usually the thing that you run into in NVIDIA. This just card don't work no more. So had to go with a new one. Yeah, it is what it is, I guess. I was talking about some of my tech issues last week. You get to expound upon some of your tech issues this week. Isn't technology so fun and such a pain in the butt at the same time? Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's great. It's great when it works, but when it breaks and you have to wait for it to fix, because that was the, a lot of the problem. There's no like local place that I can really 
go and pick something up that is very specific to this. Because <laughs> it's like because I needed to make sure the chipset was the right one. I need you know just a lot of situational stuff. So it was like, oh, that'll teach me to run out of kernel stuff and make sure that I'm using actually inline kernel supported products. You know, again, user, not not so much the tech. Well, I think it's unfortunate that real tech is not upstreaming their stuff or at least in a timely fashion to uh, Linux kernel. So I, I don't know what the problem is there, but that, that is part of the problem. You can blame it. Uh, yeah. Obviously you can blame it on the manufacturer. This is actually a, I'm not sure if it's a community maintained driver or I believe it is. If I remember correctly, you get what you get. So obviously, you know, sign drivers and then blah, blah, all the stuff that goes into running out of tree modules. Just, you know, it is what it is. Like, again, I'll, I'm going to say I don't enjoy real tech products at the moment or anything that's based on them. Um, so I'll be trying to mitigate using those uh, going forward as much as possible. So if I have to pay a little more premium for making sure a wireless card works, dang Skippy, I'm going to be making sure I pay a few more for a wireless card to work. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because I think when you lose network connectivity and you're expecting it, it seems like perhaps... There's not much we do without network connectivity anymore, good, bad, or otherwise. It just right. it is the reality of things. And so to, to lose your ability to communicate is just not a good thing. I mean, just it, it's a huge inconvenience, if nothing else. And so are you using that computer right now and have it wired in instead, or is this a different... No. Computer? Okay. Well, so the problem is, is where I'm located, uh, the... <laughs> The nearest wired outlet for where I am is about probably 50 feet away from me. So there's no good way to actually get to that outlet, though. Sure, you can spend a, a couple hundred bucks on some Cat5 cable. <laughs> Without running a bunch of nonsensical stuff. So right now I'm doing this for my actually my gaming laptop, which is ironically grew to Linux too. Um, and that's where I'm doing this right now from uh, trying to plug all the USB things into only three USB ports. That's a little problematic, but <laughs> while I've been busy cleaning up uh, my desktop and my w wireless communication problem, Wendy, you've just been cleaning up. Yeah. Well, we had a bit of a mess that we came home to on Sunday. And so I had big plans for this coming week while I did want to deep clean my house this summer, it's kind of happening now in a big rush. One of the things we learned is don't leave the house when the power's on because a kid might have left a bathtub running. Yeah, not so fun. Oh, not no. Too flooding. Yes, an absolute mess. So my brain's a little bit fried. If I sound a little bit crazy or not all there today, that's why. Just so much going on here with cleaning up and all of that fun stuff going on around here. So that's what I've currently been doing. Nothing super exciting. We went and enjoyed the mountains for a little bit to come home to an absolute mess. So we've learned our lesson. We know not to leave the house when the power is off. Make sure we wait until the power's back on. And then right now, it's just lots and lots of emptying rooms and cleaning and pulling up carpets and all of that fun stuff. On the bright side, it wasn't due to flooding, like flash flooding. So that there's, you know, at least it wasn't that. I would almost rather that it was due to some external thing than something we did because it's a lot easier to get insurance to cover repair fees. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there is that. I Most just mean usually do have an act of God clause. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, in Idaho, not so much because we are in a desert. We live on a hill. So for us to get flooded out is pretty difficult at our current location. I think most of Idaho, you can't get flood insurance unless you live like really close to the river. So you'd be inside of that floodplain. We're just too much of a desert region. The flooring in the bathroom definitely needs to be replaced. And thankfully, they've got some of that in the garage that we can just pull back out and should be able to redo the bathroom, no problem. Right. Well, good luck with that. That's uh, some extra cleaning and renovating that wasn't on the, uh, on the schedule, huh? Definitely not on the list. 
but we are doing the best we can with the situation we're in. We can't go back in time and make sure the tub was turned off before we left the house. So right now it's doing our best to properly clean it up, make sure everything is dried out. And at this point, like it's a great excuse to completely gut each room and get rid of half of the stuff that's in there because I wanted to do that this summer anyway. Yeah, too bad life doesn't have a controlled Z. No kidding, right? That would be yeah. amazing if we could get one of those. Mm. We should see if we can put a feature request in for that. Will do. Hey, God, can I get a control Z? <laughs> no, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this is not like a uh, photo app, Wendy, where you can click undo. Gosh dang it. I can't erase it. I can't go back and start over with the raw file. None of that, huh? It was, you should have locked the layers that had the floor, and then you wouldn't have had any issues. That's right. Shoulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda. I will next time. <laughs> Nate, you're doing something a little bit out of the ordinary, and that's currently running Windows. Why are you doing this, and is it on bare metal? Uh, well, I wanted to hurt myself, and so I decided that it was time to run Windows. No, um... So I'm, I'm doing some work for uh, a, a business that, that need, they need some like graphic design work. And I'm not a graphic designer. They need to update a bunch of designs to, to a new look. And I don't want to give too many details because it's not really important. But I have to use Adobe Illustrator to make this happen. As much as I would like to use something that's not proprietary, I do not want to disrupt the already established workflow that the business is already using. So. I was given a license to run Adobe Illustrator and try as I might, I could not get crossover Linux or Lutris or anything to be able to run Illustrator on Linux directly. And I did try for quite a while. This was not like a, uh, oh, didn't work. I did a lot of digging, a lot of reading and no success. So I ended up installing Windows 10 on my laptop in a virtual machine because I, I couldn't, I, there's no way I could do it on bare metal. I, I only lasted like 30 seconds of having windows running on it when I first got it. So I, I can't, I couldn't imagine changing that out now. Besides, I think there'd be something really sacrilegious about removing open Sousa tumbleweed and putting windows on there. I think that, yes, um, I'd have to like turn in my Linux card. Yeah, that would be, that'd be just awful, 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 awful. Anyway, so I got uh, windows 10 running in a virtual machine. It actually does very well as far as doing Adobe Illustrator. Nothing is too terribly complex. And, and any of the stuff that I have to do, is, it's pretty basic work. It's basically a lot of busy work of doing the necessary changes to the artwork. Now, I'm not a graphic designer by trade. I do pad work. So using Illustrator is kind of a combination, in my opinion, of using GIMP mm. and FreeCAD, essentially, as far as how it handles layers and, and, uh, and so forth. So it's, it's not any more difficult than, than any of the three design, 3D design stuff I do. It's just a little bit tedious. So I just started doing that uh, as, as of yesterday, actually. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a side hustle of sorts. It's, um, I don't know how, how much work there's going to be ultimately, but it's enough to keep me busy for quite a while. I find that using Windows, I know it's, it just feels clunky. Just the way it, the way it yeah. operates. And then the whole, uh, even though I have a Windows license, I used, I downloaded from HP the, um, the already pre-activated version of Windows, but apparently it, it can't nice. activate itself. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I'll get it figured out at some point in time, but I can't install the fonts I need right now to make everything work as I need to make it work. So uh, at some point in time, I'll get it figured out. But um, I certainly would never pay for Windows. Like I... I it came with my laptop, so I already have a, a legal copy. But there, there's right. no way that I would ever... I mean, it's just not... I'm sorry, it's just not good. I haven't used Windows for a couple of years, actually. But it's, uh, it, it truly is not a good user experience. It doesn't really run well. And I've run a lot of things in virtual machines, so it's not like this is all that different. But a lot of the user interface design decisions, I think, are just not to my liking at all. So you would agree with my daughter from last week that you don't like the overall look of Windows. You don't like the way that it runs itself, the user experience in general. 
Now, because you needed to use this specialty software that can really only be used on Mac and Windows, which in your case, it was easier to install a virtual machine and then get it going on there. How is that experience running that specialty software in a virtual machine? Are you notice any like lagging issues or is your hardware covering all of that pretty well? As far as lagging, I don't notice any, which is surprising since I, I think Illustrator is somewhat demanding, but it's not really that demanding. The files right. aren't that big. But it, it does, it runs it just fine. Actually, better than I expected. I expect there to be a lot of like, you know, lagginess and, and so forth, but it doesn't, doesn't appear to be. I find there's actually more lagginess in just doing things like opening up Explorer to, to search for files than there is in the software oh. itself. So yeah. I don't know why that is. And then the nice thing is I can mount the local file system onto the VM so I can actually access the, so I can have like one spot of files and I have it living in a virtual machine so I can actually have Linux take care of all the, uh, the file management in the background. So that, that works out quite nicely. Illustrator runs great, but Windows itself it does not. It'd be nice if I could run like just that application somehow through and not have to actually launch Windows, but you know, that whatever. That would be nice, it, yeah. That would be very nice, but it's, that's, not a, that's not a thing. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody knows how to like launch it. Like you could, I guess like you could do like a RDP into some other box someplace else to do it, but I have to be able to operate without network access from time to time. Exactly. Although if that happens, I don't know because it, it does, it's a license thing. I don't know if it checks the license initially or I, I don't know how it checks the license, but I have been using it sometimes without network connection. Yeah, I've had my own experience recently with Windows, not including what we talked about last week. I will get into that in the host-related interests section. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one to a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, you can get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. You said you wouldn't pay for Windows right now. So if you had a brand new machine that needed an OS, you would not be buying a Windows key in order to put on that. Now let's say that you needed a key for OpenSUSE. Would you be willing to buy a key for that distro? I, I don't know if I like the idea of keys necessarily, but would I pay for OpenSUSE? Yes, I would. And in fact, you might, you might be surprised to know this, but I actually do pay for commercial Linux, a workstation, a, a single license, and that's actually from SUSE because I want to be able to support desktop Linux in a way that directly benefits me. So I do, I do actually pay for an annual subscription to SUSE workstation. That is very interesting. So you're saying that you don't necessarily like the idea of a key. So if it was a key that you had to enter to boot up, you're like, uh, not so great on that. But having a license, how does that work different for SUSE than it does on like with a Windows key? What is that license activation like? Well, I don't actually run SUSE itself because I, it, I want the, I run Tumbleweed and that so it doesn't really fit. But I could actually convert right. one of my, I could convert a Leap system to a, a, SUSE, a SUSE Linux Enterprise uh, workstation 
but that's not really what I, I want to do. The question came like, how can I support the Linux distribution that I, I use the most? And uh, it was actually Neil who said, well, you should get a license for using uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise. I said, well, I don't, I'm not going to really use it because I'm going to use Tumbleweed. He says it doesn't matter. Right. Because because you're buying that license, that tells SUSE that they have, there are people using the desktop. And so they're going to do more work on to improve mm. the desktop. And that translates down into OpenSUSE Leap and ultimately into Tumbleweed. Not necessarily directly, but it does have a, a trickling effect. And it does show there is demand for desktop Linux. Also, SUSE does a lot to support a lot of projects out there. And so it, it costs me $50 a year. And I am doing... You know, it's, it's a small way to contribute to my experience on Linux. So, yes, I absolutely would pay for Linux. In fact, I do. But it's because I, I, I really believe in the product that I'm given. And also, it, it's really nice because it um, when I did install it, I wasn't asked for any key at all. So the, I don't know how... how I, I feel like they're pretty loosey-goosey on, on, their, on the rules for how you would use it. Would it be more if you called for some customer support that they would need to verify that you had purchased a license of SUSE in order to make that happen? So I think the the license that I got, and I'm actually going to look this up right now because I I do not recall, is um, I'm, I'm quite certain that I, I do ha- I have a... Oh, unable to sign in. That's cool. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I haven't logged into it for a while, so apparently they, they lock your account when you don't log into it. Uh Uh-oh. All right, so while you're looking that up, I want to ask Matt, is there any Linux distribution that you would be willing to pay for? So for me, yes, I actually do pay for Linux distributions, especially the ones that I use. Uh, One that I constantly pay for currently through a Patreon donation is uh, Chimera OS, just because I I used it for as a Steam Machine OS until... Valve actually puts out, you know, Steam OS 3 for everybody. Guru to Linux, I have a subscription to for, you know, so much for per month. The stuff that I use, I pay for because it just makes sense. You're allowing me to do what I need to much easier. So why am I not going to support that? This is where the difference, I think, with like a Windows key or a Mac OS type of stuff. You're not limiting me to how I can use it. I will gladly give a financial transaction for that freedom. So people, you know, people want to talk about the, you know, the freedoms of, you know, open source or free software and all that stuff. You're giving me like Nate, like you like to say, uh, Linux puts the personal computing or personal backing computing. Totally true. So the distros that allow me to do that the easiest or fill in a function or form that I need are going to be the ones that I financially support. It's the same way that I do with applications and stuff that I constantly use. If I make any type of money from those applications, that money gets returned to those projects in some way, shape or form. Might not be all at once, might be over the course of a year, but it gets redistributed back to the stuff that I use because I understand that without that stuff, I wouldn't be able to do what I do and I wouldn't be able to get a lot of stuff done. You know, I kind of miss the days of when I could go to the store and get like a boxed copy of, <laughs> of, of a Linux distribution. That's how I started my Linux journey was going to the store and picking up a, a boxed copy of Mandrake Linux. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was between Mandrake and SUSE, and I went for the Mandrake, ironically. I've never thought of not paying for Linux, really. I think there was, a, there was some times when, you know, I, it was nice that I, you know... Cause, went through some rough patches in my 20s. It was nice that, that I, I didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. But when I had the financial ability and the wherewithal, yeah, now I'm going to contribute back. And you know what? I, I use OBS uh, regularly. And so I do contribute to that project as well because you know, it's, it's very important that I see that project continue so I can continue to use it. All this development time isn't free. And people say, oh, free software, they shouldn't charge for it. I say, okay, well, last I checked, people still need to eat and food isn't free. Somebody's got to work to plant that food. Nothing's automatic. It doesn't just come magically from the store. All of that server space takes money and hardware in order to use and all of that build time. And then, like you said, people need to be able to eat. If you're spending all of your time working on open source software, where are you getting an income from to feed yourself, for your living situation, to support your family? That is really, really important. 
I think you bring up excellent points as to reasons in order to pay for or support a distro. Now, I'm kind of thinking about this in the lines of Windows. I wouldn't necessarily want to buy a Windows license today. Absolutely not. Do I have some systems that I could go ahead and install it on because I have an existing license? Yes, there are times when I do need it. Like I said, I will talk to you about that a little bit later in the episode. But I have other reasons for not wanting to pay for Windows 10 or Windows 11 or even any of the past ones. Some of that is because of the way they steal my data. I don't want to be paying a company to be like, hey, and by the way, here you go. Here's all of my information. It's not really something I want to do. I want to be able to open up my computer and know that it's 100% mine. And that's one thing that a Linux allows me to do. So I feel better about handing over money to support the people that are developing and working on the distros that I enjoy because I love the work and I value the work that they're doing. So it is something that I want to see continue, whereas I'm only booting into a Windows system because I have to and like you, Nate, there is no other option to get that one thing done that needs to be done with the Windows system. It's 100% out of begrudging necessity and not out of actual want and willingness to use that thing. So that's where that monetary value definitely separates. It does. And I think that basically every time you buy a laptop, you get a Windows key, whether you like it or not, from most manufacturers. Right. So I mean, they're handing those things out like candy, essentially. And, and like candy, it's not good for your teeth or your computer. But um, regrudgingly using it is, is exactly it. And it's really unfortunate that Adobe does not support at least some level, you know, like a that they don't build a flat pack or an app image or I don't care, a snap, something that they could distribute for Linux users. I can't imagine that it's that much more additional work to do. I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know what the holdup is. I'm sure like there's testing and there's a lot of like, you know, the, the whole, you know, bug squashing and everything else. It's really very unfortunate. At least they don't make some way like, all right, we're not going to support it, but um, here's some of the, uh, here's some of the tooling that and make it happen. Good luck. Happy trails. I would even take that. Zero support for it, but at least give me some sort of a pathway. Yeah, because uh, Nate, you'd almost be equating that to almost kind of like how Valve treats Windows on the Steam Deck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It. They're like, here's the drivers. Have fun. We're not our problem, though. <laughs> so if somebody wants to do that, you know, go go forth and do great things. It's not for me to, to tell you no. It's, you know, go ahead and, and do it. And I, And it's too bad that other companies don't have that, that kind of a that view of things. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, I know Windows is one of those begrudging, like, things you just can't get rid of sometimes, especially, like, people in, like, my case, who are gamers and that kind of stuff, because sometimes I love the advancements in Linux and gaming and Proton, and but let's be real, there are some things that sometimes I'm not going to argue for my entertainment. <laughs> On so like to totally be real, <clears throat> I'm not gonna spend two hours for, uh, messing around with you know Proton or Wine Tricks or Proton Trick, you know some weird esoteric stuff from in the CLI just to get a, a game to work. Actually, I would. Well, that's that's you. That's because I'm a bit. Of, I'm a little bit of a open source zealot, and I'm not happy unless I'm using it. I, I have a lower barrier to entry. <laughs> that's really what it boils down to for me. Um, so Windows is one of those things I have mitigated to one machine. That's its function. It's the only thing it has. Everything else, I do have a Mac OS machine, but you know, obviously it's a Mac. So, you know, it's pretty much stuck with what it's stuck at. Right. Um, so for me, outside of that, everything's Linux. And a lot of it is simply because it's the best tool for the job. It's the best function to form, to, to, to freedom, to control, to the purpose build. Take take your pick. Windows tries to be a generalized OS. The nice thing with Linux is I can have the generalized OS, but I can also have specific built things for it. And that's yep. where, for me, that advantage is worth paying for. So if I can get a generalized OS that basically has everything out of the box for me with something like Garuda... Cool. Here's some cash. 
I'm not saying cash is the only way to contribute to a project. I'm just saying the question is, would we pay for it? Personally, for me, I definitely do. I think it's worth paying for. And just like I think it's worth paying for projects and all the other things so that those people can focus on maybe the project instead of, you know, where their next meal come from, you know, how they got to get the kid through X, Y, or Z project or whatever right. their financial situation is. Um, because money is replaceable. Time is not. So when companies and teams and individuals give their time, there is some type of trade-off they are, I don't want to say expecting, but would like to see given back. And if you have the financial means, I would recommend financially contributing back. I view, and the thing is, I don't view Linux distros in like this, oh, it's a free ISO to download. Like, yeah, there's plenty, there's tons of distros that I've downloaded and just tested the ISO and kind of moved on because they don't stick. They, they don't stick around as, a, as a, a tool that I would pay for. It's like, you know, kind of a the, the renting of something. It's just like you, you, you test drive it, you mess around with it in the store a little bit and you put it back in the box and you, you go about your day. That That's kind of how I view that. Um, I think viewing right. distros and stuff more as a product as opposed to as a project gives a different inclination on how you're willing to contribute back to that that product or project, however you want to view it. Yeah, I would say if I were to line up side by side, let's say for my, my purposes, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, for the same cost would be to run Windows 10. I haven't, I haven't tried 11 yet. I would say... My the bang, like bang from my buck, on OpenSUSE is way better than that on Windows itself. Sure, Windows does provide a lot of third-party applications out there that that companies are actually supporting. So I get that piece of it. But as far as the actual desktop interface, desktop experience, the amount of software you do get right out of the gate, you get a lot more from OpenSUSE than you do from Windows. And I would say a, a much more uh, complete desktop experience as well. I mean, I don't like anybody's theme that's shipped out of the box. doesn't matter what it is. There's something that I'm going to tweak to make it work better for me. And I can't even make those tweaks in Windows. You know, I can make the tweaks and adjustments in OpenSUSE. I can personalize it for me to work for me, not me work for it. So that's that's a huge piece of it too, and so I feel like there's a lot more, a lot more value in the in the uh, the open source desktop environment. Wendy, do you have anything to add to the conversation for uh, paying for software or OS, whatever? Not really. I think you pretty well summarized it in what I said before. That something that I do find value in it's worth it for me to pay for or donate to in order to keep that thing going. And while I give Windows a hard time, I don't give it a hard time necessarily because you need to pay for a license for it. It's just not the piece of software. It's not an operating system that I want to use. So I don't value my dollars going to that thing. I would rather put them somewhere else. Yeah, I totally agree. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords, and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash T-U-X to get started for free. If you're like me though, you want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project by signing up for that premium edition. 
especially since it starts at just $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Let's completely switch gears, or not really. This is still a paid for thing. It's game of the week. What do you got, Matt? <laughs> oh, God, I love that transition. <laughs> <laughs> so the game of the week I have is a game called Immortal Unchained. Uh, it is a third-person looter shooter. So for those that don't know like that kind of category of gaming, take the gotta-get-better-gear mentality from like Diablo 2 or Diablo. Uh, Nate, I know those are probably too new for you still. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just saying. Uh, sorry, Ultima, that better? Oh, there we go. Okay. Got it. <laughs> so take the get the better gear mentality from all those type of games and put it in a a shooter as opposed to, you know, a certain certain fantasy type games. Um also has a little bit of a Dark Souls element. So for those that don't know, Dark Souls, Demon Souls games are known to be kind of hard. Nah, that's relative to the, the game generically. Uh, I, I'm kind of wary of like what they would call Souls-like games. So overall, though, the thing that I like about this game thus far is the looter shooter stuff. It's actually not insanely expensive at its base price that it's currently at. I would say at $11 or $10.99 US on Steam that it's probably worth getting. You can kind of, you can customize your styles, your stats, your your play style and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of nice little little touches and stuff into that. I'm not saying it's the best game ever. Um, works on Proton because I have it on my Steam Deck, which is where I've actually been playing it. So it, it's a nice game to kind of play in those short bursts. Uh, like I, mean, I hate the term gaming on the go, but it's kind of actually appropriate. It's like, I got 15 minutes, so I'll sit there and play, you know, 15 minutes on, on my Steam Deck. Of like a portion of it, turn, uh, power off the Steam Deck, come back to it, you know, and when I get another 10, 15 minutes or whatever. So it, it's one of those kind of games that I, I can play in kind of a piecemeal fashion so that I think it's good for. Well, I think the animation is great. Like the, the hustle run, I think is looks just it's animated super well and also you can get the entire immortal unchained ultimate edition bundle for only 22 dollars i mean really yeah for what i would generically recommend for games that's actually that's all the dlc that's uh do note the soundtrack is free so for those that want you know game music um the, the base game it's you know 11 bucks so if you're looking for those type of games, this is definitely one of those to take a look at. Like I said, not the most groundbreaking game ever, but it works on Linux. It works. They, they have console editions if you want it on PS4 or Xbox One, if you want to go a generation prior. So definitely a f little fun game that I came across and plays really nice. Even plays on super high settings on, on the Steam Deck. Just Just saying. Nice. That's good and news. This is a game that came out. This is a game that came out in 2018. So, the those gamers that worry about you know their 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 uh, great gaming graphics and you know solid frame rates and all the other stuff, the Steam Deck can definitely handle this one. Not that not the highest requirement for games. I think it, game requirements max out at like a 780. So it's, it's a few generations old as far as the the video requirements. Yeah, yeah, but nonetheless, I mean. You're holding it in your hand. What does it matter? Well, I don't care. Like, uh, we all know the type of games I play. So, like, uh, graphical fidelity ain't really my thing. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the low end when it comes to to that those requirements. I'm not a. I need 300 frames a second at you know 4K. I'm not. I, I don't fall into that category. <laughs> I don't think that's even possible. They're they're trying to do 500. They're trying to do like 500 hertz monitors now. I think Asus is at at that point right now. Um, mm. So yeah, crazy crazy stuff. Anyway, yeah, good but, for them. Yeah, maybe it'll not, nothing I'm interested. In. Maybe it'll finally get to the point where Steam, or I should say, where uh, where modern PC gaming has the speed of the 1980s Nintendo, as far as the lack of latency. Maybe, maybe someday. Maybe someday. 500 megahertz, yeah. While I'm making game recommendations and Nate's talking about the running animations, Nate, you got something running but with lighting. 
I do. So as a, it's a continuation of lighting. So I, you know, my house is still uh, every season I change. I haven't really talked about it much, but uh, I, you know, I have the lights on my house. But this is something a little bit different. I want to understand how to use DMX lighting. Now, DMX is an open standard. I don't remember what it means, but I, I purchased an open source USB to DMX box so I can control DMX lights. And I installed a, an application, which interestingly is hosted on, or other distributions on, um, on the OpenSUSE build service, this application called QLC Plus. It runs on Windows, Mac OS, of course, Ubuntu. And also for the automated builds, they use yeah, the open build service for Arch, Fedora, OpenSUSE, and Ubuntu. So anyway, I installed this on my laptop to see you know, how the application works. And I, I just started playing around with it and I'm under, trying to understand, I'm like, I'm going to school and trying to understand how this DMX standard works. So I have four lights that I purchased. I got a deal on it, so it's not like I'm breaking the bank on this. And I have Q, QLC installed and I, and I have it all working and uh, I still don't know what I'm doing. So it's time to do some tutorials, uh, but I have gotten to the point now where I understand, you know, at least the hardware bits of it. So now I'm, I'm learning the software bits and hopefully I can figure all this out and be able to do something fun with it. You know, so by next Christmas, I can do just a little bit more to the, the light shows on my house. So it's a kind of a, a long-term plan here that I hope to be able to, you know, actually become not an expert, but at least a seasoned novice in how to use it properly. I think it'll make your winter light show this year absolutely awesome. You normally start with October with Halloween. So I guess this is like fall and winter. Yeah, I'll start with how. Ho- yeah, I start with, well, I mean, right now my, my house is doing kind of a red, white and blue thing, you know, because the Memorial Day and then they got Fourth of July. Oh, okay. So it's kind of doing that Perfect. kind of a, a thing. So I'm, I actually want to employ this a little bit quicker than and even by the fall. But basically, I want to have it ready to go. So when I do my my light shows for your big Christmas one, my big Christmas ones. Yeah. So the idea is I want my the whole front room in my house, the which is like the homeschool room, the inside of it. I want to basically do lighting effects within it to complement what's going on the outside of the house too, since it's all windows. Oh, cool. That'll be yeah. awesome. So, and then the, the other side of it too, is then we can have, you know, impromptu dance parties in the homeschool room. Well, heck yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> be loads of fun. So Wendy, I've, um, I don't know what I'm doing yet with DMX lights, but I know that you are an experienced root and ROM hacker on, on uh, mobile devices. So you're doing more of this. I would say I was an experienced root and rommer, however you want to say that, I'm not entirely sure. But it had been a really, really long time since I'd done any of that with a phone. And I have had my OnePlus 9 since November, since the end of November. I've really, really liked the phone. One thing that's kept me from rooting and romming it is time. And the other thing I was worried about was a degradation in camera quality because the stock OnePlus camera app that can utilize both cameras on the back of this phone isn't available in custom ROMs. Well, I'd finally reached the point where I was like, gosh dang it, I just want to go ahead and play with this phone. So on Friday, let me put this in context, today is Wednesday, June 1st. So on Friday... April 27th, I was like, that's it. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'd actually downloaded a whole bunch of things the night before. I'd been doing a whole bunch of reading and I was like, okay, I'm going for it. I got the bootloader unlocked. The ROM that I wanted to eventually install needed me to downgrade both A and B ROM partitions to Android 11. The way I used to do this all the time, like I used to flash ROMs a lot. And Fastboot was without a doubt the way to go. So I was following the tutorial. I'd gotten to a specific place in the tutorial that said, okay, now it's time to Fastboot reboot Fastboot. And then you go ahead and continue the installation process. Well, once I had done that, the phone never rebooted. Like I have this black screen and we're not getting anywhere. And I'm like, oh, this is a problem. 
So I'd already done some looking about the OnePlus MSM tool, and it is the one that they use to fix phones. Mine's the global version. And so I'm like, oh, not a problem. Biggest issue is you need a Windows system to do this, which is the biggest bummer. I could just do it from my existing Linux systems. Thankfully, I already got one up and running. I told you guys that before. We needed one for, to do some state education testing type stuff. Already got it. No problem. Pulled it up went to run it and the first issue I was having because it was seeing the phone even though there was black screen I couldn't get into recovery I couldn't get into bootloader loader it literally was just a brick with no functionality at all so it was being seen it was in a very special mode I can't remember what that mode is but it's an emergency mode essentially and we were seeing that but when I went to go run the process in order to reflash the phone, it was telling me that it couldn't communicate. Well, I eventually got that worked out. I needed to hold the buttons in a particular way, so to turn off, reconnect, and then you had 10 seconds to restart again, blah, blah, blah. You don't wanna know all those nitty gritty details because it wouldn't make any sense unless you were standing here watching me. Anyway, it connected. We finally had a process starting and it's like, oh yeah, the images don't match, so we can't fix it. And I was stuck on Friday with no phone. Well, I needed to go make dinner and do all of the mom stuff and the phone had to just sit. So I pulled the phone that I typically use for audiobooks since mine is a USB-C only without an audio cable. I use a separate phone as my audiobook phone when I need to pop one in at night because I can't sleep. I threw my SIM card in that. I had a working phone, a kind of sort of working phone. It didn't have element. It didn't have element. It didn't have telegram. And so it was mostly functional. As you guys know, I miss messages on Monday, but for multiple reasons. And part of that reason was I didn't have Element installed on my phone because I had messed up my phone on Friday. So <laughs> on Saturday... I think we can let this one slide. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday, we went camping. On Sunday, we came home to a mess on Monday, we were continuing to clean up that mess and my dad was here for his birthday, as much of a fun birthday as it could be at your daughter's house where they're spending most of their time doing cleanup of water instead of, you know, just getting to hang out. With squishy floors. Right, exactly. So <laughs> yesterday, I'm like, okay, I've got to get this fixed. And I had made a post on XDA forms. That is the best place to get information on that, that I'm having this issue. These are the things that I've tried and this is where I'm stuck and I st still continue to dig. So even though I'd post this message, I didn't want to stop looking just in case I came across the right thing, which thankfully I did. And I will post a link to that thread in the show description, but I couldn't flash the OnePlus 9 global version in order to fix this, and I know this is gonna sound really, really weird, I had to flash the OnePlus 9 Pro version for India. Yep, totally worked. I went back to a booting phone and it was just in the nick of time because the battery <laughs> on this thing was almost dead. If I had waited another day, I literally would have been in major trouble. It would have had to have gone back to OnePlus for them to get it working. So thankfully that didn't happen. Got it done in the nick of time and then spent a lot of time reverting it back in order to get it on the proper US version of the software. And now, right now, this very moment, my OnePlus 9 is running nameless ASOP. I've only been playing with it for a little bit. I finally had everything up and running yesterday evening. This is before noon my time. So I haven't even been playing with it for a full 24 hours, but for the most part, I really like it. It's pretty simple. My biggest complaint and one of the reasons why I didn't go to a custom ROM of four was there is definitely a degradation in the image quality and I'm only able to use one of those sensors and not both of them. So I'm still looking for a solution to that, but that's been my other adventure for the week. There you go. My need for a Windows system, non-working phone, all of that fun stuff. Like it's tech drama here all the time. <laughs>
Yeah, and then whatever caused your power outage to cause a flood, which chain reacted into uh, other work. Right, exactly. Like, like technology betrayed you this past weekend, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it has been one heck of an interesting week. One heck of a crazy start to the summer. I actually hope that it gets calmer from here. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot to handle in, at one point. Now, the, the ROM you're using now... You got that? Is that a? Is it like a lineage OS or, or did you say? Would you say what it was? I remember. This one is called Nameless. Okay, Nameless. You did say that. Yep, it is based on the Android open source project. It's pretty simple. It's very Pixel esque related because it uses Pixel Launcher and those kind of things inside of it. Normally, I run a different launcher on top of my system because I like to have a lot more customization, especially when it comes to the icons that are used and how everything's laid up. I like a very, very clean desktop. I like a very, very clean homepage for my phone. And so there's definitely more clutter on it than I typically like, but I've been trying to play with it as it was meant to be. Well, that's excellent. Like, I don't go through phones very quickly, but every time I get a phone and then I replace that phone, that there are all these new hurdles in flashing a ROM onto these newer phones. Right. For whatever reason, they have like those A, B slots for something I don't understand and, uh, and so forth. So It's actually kind of a good concept. So if you're going to get an update and your active ROM slot, let's say it's A, the update will be installed on B. And if there's a problem, the software will fall back to A so that you have two different versions and it's able to keep you supposedly on a working phone. Well, I mean, I think that's great news that they do that. But I haven't, uh, I have a Moto G Power 2021 that I bought new, which I never buy anything new. And I haven't put, I haven't messed with it at all. I just, I've left it vanilla stock. And I find that the, the camera interface in that thing is just kind of terrible. The yeah. camera crashes quite a bit. So I'm almost to the point where I need to, I feel like I should flash a, um, something on, onto my Moto G Power because the, the stock Motorola stuff coming down doesn't seem to be improving at all. It seems to be degrading the, the, the phone over time, which is very unlike how things work on Lineage, I find, or maybe any, any of the ROMs. Lineage has been pretty solid for us in the past. It's currently what all of the Amazon Fire tablets are running. Unfortunately, there hasn't really been any updates for them. I was kind of a dead device in the terms of development like that so i would definitely say check the forms see if there's active development going on for it and then flash it if there's something there the other thing you can always do if there is an active development for that particular phone you can find another phone that you like that there is active development for pick it up used and sell that one or keep it as a backup yeah it's I mean, it's working okay for me it's not a problem it's just a very often when I go to take a picture, it'll crash. It's irritating. Nate, uh, out of curiosity, are, are, are you using the default camera app by any chance? Everything default. Yeah, I'm just using everything everything standard. So ha having a Motorola device, I will totally agree. Their picture quality and just like the interface and all the stuff that goes with it, 100% not good. So I would definitely recommend using open camera as opposed to the... Open camera. It's a it, it, you can find it in Android. It's a totally open source app for Android, and it exposes a lot of things that most manufacturers would shut off in certain aspects of the camera. Some allow you to have like the camera itself can actually take 4K, but sometimes manufacturers will cap it at you know 1080 because they're concerned about overheating or whatever in the actual the manufacturer photo app whereas open camera was like okay you want to take a 4k video you burn your phone whatever it's you so it, it has a nice uh, <laughs> set of feature lists in it so something you might want to check out i can't say like i don't have the eye for the the photo comparison maybe and post-processing stuff that like probably wendy would just by looking at different apps I'm sure, Wendy, you've probably noticed um, when you use different apps, different quality in the, the processing and stuff. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that especially smartphones do 
they rely really heavily on the post-processing that those different chips can do. Now, a lot of these cell phone cameras will have their own chip connected to it for the processing, just like you would in a DSLR and whatnot. And then there is proprietary software that is written specifically for that camera, that sensor, that lens, and that chip in order to give you the best possible image that can come out of that camera from the manufacturer. Now, I have had Motorola phones in the past. I can attest that they definitely don't have the best cameras on them. One of the reasons why we went OnePlus this time was because it had a decent camera on it. Now, I don't take a ton of pictures with my camera phone, but I will take pictures of the kids or whatever we're doing, send them to my parents, sharing that way. But my husband spends a lot of time out and about in the woods working on different things at work and having a higher quality camera is important for him even when he's on the job site working on things because he can send a picture back to the office or whatever needs to be done and making sure that that's easy to see is definitely important. So right now for us, or at least for me on my OnePlus, I am missing that proprietary software in the back end that not only makes the images look good, but allows me to use both of the lenses that are on the back of my camera. The open camera is an awesome app. Like Matt said, it has a lot of really great features. And if you're dealing with a camera like the ones on especially some of those lower end Motorola phones, it could potentially give you a better image than the stock one because of the additional options you have. But if you're on a higher end phone, you're going to get your very best images in relation to the stock camera with the stock firmware software that processes them. Well, I will tell you already, I, I installed open camera and it doesn't crash. I can take a photo right away. Nice. And I even can take video right away without any like hangups or hiccups or anything like that. So automatically, I mean, right out of the gate, this open camera is way better than the what came with the Motorola that actually makes the phone tolerable. So yay, and I don't want to check my phone. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> and do note, it's open source. To be fair, Motorola has one of my favorite features when it comes to phone, and that is the chop motion in order to turn on the flashlight. When we went from Motorola to OnePlus, I greatly missed that action. Yeah, I use that all the time. I, I like that... Uh, I shake the phone, get my light, shake it, turn it off. That's great. That's almost worth the, the, the price of admission. Yeah, and unfortunately, there isn't anywhere else that has it. The OnePlus, you could before choose whether you could draw a V or an O on the screen, and the screen has to be turned off, like can't be lit up, and that'll turn it on. And then they changed it so it couldn't be an O. It just had to be that V shape. And then I was constantly accidentally turning on the flashlight just by the way I was picking it up, but then couldn't turn it on when I wanted to. So I don't like the OnePlus gesture in order to do it. <laughs> Motorola nailed it for sure. That's one thing they absolutely nailed. Just a quick reminder to all of you awesome listeners out there. Matt is doing a live gaming charity event on June 20th for Cure. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time and goes to June 21st, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, a full 24 hours. This one is for Cure Citizens United and Research for Epilepsy. Let's help him reach that $1,500 goal, because if he gets there, we get to torture Matt with Among Us. Let's make that happen. Can't wait to see you all there on June 20th, 2022. I think you mean grace him with among us that's proper wording thank no. you so much for correcting no. me no she, she's right <laughs> torment me no 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 it's grace you just don't know it yet but you will you'll love it i hope i have my steam deck by then <laughs> <laughs> now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics hit the discourse form drop us a line under this video or contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com contact if you would like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at TuxDigital.com. 
Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like Matt's favorite I Paused My Game To Be Here shirt. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. <laughs>